0: In the fall of 2012, God greatly blessed my wife and I with a beautiful baby girl that we named Scarlet Jade Ogle. I want to show you a picture of Scarlett. Now, I know I'm partial, but she's beautiful. <laughs> the other day, I was talking with some friends, and they asked me, what's your favorite part thus far, nine months into the game? What's your favorite part about being a dad? And I kind of had to think about that for a second because there's a lot of stuff that's been really cool. But I think for me in the first nine months of Scarlett's life, the, my favorite part has been watching her grow and mature. I mean, a lot has happened in nine months. I mean, she's went from the place of just laying there all the time to now she can roll over. Uh, she's gone from just eating milk to now she's eating more solid food. She's gone from us having to prop her up against the couch to now she can stand up on her own. Last night over FaceTime, she's actually out of state with my wife right now, but I got to hear her say "dada" for the first time. So that was awesome. I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's <was> exciting. <laughs> She's starting to develop her own personality. She's gone from really looking at nothing to following objects with her eyes. It's been so cool for me to watch her mature over the past nine months. Now, I know for a baby, it's very easy to recognize maturity. But as we begin today, I want to ask you a question that maybe is not so easy to answer what are some of the indicators not for physical maturity but for spiritual maturity? What are some of the marks that someone is growing spiritually? Because you see in Colossians chapter 4 as Paul is landing the plane to close this letter to these believers there at Colossae The way he chooses to close this letter is by giving us some marks of maturity. Some things that will be present in the life of a Jesus follower if they are maturing spiritually. And last week as we kicked off this series, Pastor Vance did a great job at unpacking the first mark of maturity that Paul gives us in Colossians chapter 4. I want to put it up on the screen. Here was the mark of maturity that we looked at last week. The first mark is a desperate pursuit of God in prayer. A desperate pursuit of God in prayer. I want us to read that out loud this morning as we begin. One, two, three. A desperate pursuit of God in prayer. If you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to go on iTunes or go on our website, hopechurchonline.com, and catch up because last week's message was very significant. So this weekend, we're going to look at another mark of maturity that Paul gives us here in Colossians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 4, and today we're going to unpack two verses of Scripture. Verse 5. In verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put these verses up on the screen for you so that you can follow along with us as we read. Here's what the scripture says in Colossians 4 Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned. With salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Here is the mark of maturity that we're gonna talk about today a passion for living on mission with God daily. I want us to read that out loud together one, two, three. A passion for living on mission with God daily. That's the second mark of maturity that Paul gives us here in Colossians chapter 4. Now, before we unpack this text, I want us to talk about really two foundational principles that will help us better understand what living on mission with God is all about. And here's the first foundation that I want us to all understand as we begin today. God is working all over the world. Amen? God is active. God is at work all over the world. Jesus promised us when he was on earth that his gospel would be proclaimed globally to all the nations. There's a couple of places I want to highlight that really speak to that. One of those is in Matthew chapter 24. Here's what the Bible says. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Another place that the Bible speaks to this reality is in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here's what these verses give us. They give us clarity to the certainty of the activity of God. They show us that the commission Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 28, God is passionate about those, about that commission, and he wants to see it accomplished. God is on a global mission. So if God is active all over the world, here's what that means for us. One thing it means is that God is at work in your neighborhood. If he's at work all over the world, that means he's at work in your neighborhood where you live. You may have lived in your neighborhood for 20 years, or you may have just moved to your neighborhood, but God is active there. God is working in your neighborhood. God is also at work in the place where you have a job. God's at work in the place where you go to school. God is active there. God is working in those arenas. God's also at work across our city. A lot of people around the country have some perceptions about Las Vegas. And I'll admit, there's a lot of things that take place here that are very dark. But I believe God is working in our city. On a weekly basis, we hear about people around the valley who are praying to receive Christ as Lord and Savior who are being discipled and transformed by the word. There are a lot of great churches across our valley that are preaching the gospel on a weekly basis. God's working in our city. But if God's at work globally, it also means God's at work in the state of Nevada. I talk to a lot of leaders around the state, and here's what I always hear. Travis, you're not gonna believe what God is doing in my part of the state. God's also at work in our country. God's at work in the United States of America. I want to give you a a couple of examples of that. On February the 27th and on May the 15th, I got to attend the same event in two different locations. Right here on February the 27th here at Hope, we got to host the International Mission Board, which is the missions agency of the Southern Baptist Convention. They had a commissioning service right here at our church. And we got to commission right here from this stage, 70 missionaries who are leaving our country to go to another country for the sake of the gospel. It was an awesome, awesome night. And then on May the 15th, I was in North Arkansas and the International Mission Board had another missionary commissioning service. And I got to see another 60 missionaries commissioned in North Arkansas to leave this country to go to another country for the sake of the gospel. Now, who did that? Well, we didn't do that. A preacher didn't do that. God did that. God moved on the hearts of those men and women and said, leave this country, and they did. That's God's activity. He's at work in our country, but God's also at work in a great way globally. God's at work in the Middle East. I believe that. God's at work among the Wadi people the unreached people group that we've adopted as a church, he's at work in the Middle East. He's at work in Southeast Asia. He's at work in South Africa. He's at work in Zambia. He's at work in South and Central America. God is at work among the nations. In all of those places, God is active and his kingdom is being expanded even at this moment. I want you to catch this foundational principle as we talk about living on mission. God is working all over the globe. But here's the second piece of that as it relates to us understanding what it looks like to live on mission. Not only is God working all over the world, God has invited us to join in his activity. He's working. He's doing his work. He is is furthering the mission, and he has ever so graciously invited us as his children to join him in what he is doing. As you interpret the overall counsel of scripture, here's what you can conclude. That when a person comes to God in repentance and puts their faith in the finished work and life of Jesus, God draws that person, he rescues that person and gives them eternal life. And from that point on, they are first and foremost to enjoy a love relationship with God as his child, as his son or his daughter. And out of the overflow of that love relationship, something happens. Those children of God begin to live on mission. They begin to missionally approach everything that they do. And we are witnesses to the saving power of God where we live, where we work, and where we play. I want you to listen to a couple of verses of Scripture and how it references us as the children of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's speaking of us. Another other places, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said to his disciples, You are the light of the world. He goes on to say, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, we are are saved to enjoy a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And as we walk with Jesus, we are to be looking for opportunities to join Him in His activity, to be ambassadors and lights for his namesake. God desires that you and I live on mission with him. We've been brought into the family of God to share in the mission of God. And someone who is maturing in their faith, one of the marks of maturity is that we recognize the opportunity to join in God's activity and he bestows on us a passion to be a part of his mission. The second mark of maturity that we read about here in Colossians 4 is a passion for living on mission with God daily. So I hope those two foundational principles help you to understand God being at work and the opportunity we have to join Him. That's what it means to live on mission with God is when we join with Him in His activity. John Piper was writing about this reality of living on mission with God And I came across something that he wrote this week, and it's very, very challenging, but I want to read it, and then we're going to unpack this text here in Colossians chapter 4. Here's what the Bible says. I mean, here's what John Piper said If we, as a church, are disobedient, it is not ultimately the cause of God and the cause of world missions that we'll lose, we will lose. God's counsel will stand and he will accomplish all his purpose. His triumph is never in question, only our participation in it or our incalculable loss. We can be drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of world evangelization, but God will simply pass over us and do his great work while we shrivel up in our little land of comfort. We have an opportunity to share in the activity of God, to live on mission with him. So here's the big question that I want us to talk about today. What does it look like to be on mission with God daily? I mean, that sounds great, But what does that practically look like on a daily basis? Well, to help us understand that and to unpack this text, I want to give you three key words today that are really practical ways that we can be on mission with God. Here's the first word. The first key word is live. Live. The first area that we need to think about to practically be on mission is the way that we live. And here's what we're saying with this word. The way I live my life every day is a big deal. The way that we carry ourselves, our lifestyle, it's a big deal as it relates to living on mission with God. Paul begins here in verse 5 with the word conduct The word conduct is a really simple word. It means to walk about or to live one's life. He's challenging these believers here at Colossae. And he's saying, listen, as you approach life, you need to approach it differently in light of the mission. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom. The word wisdom means wise management as shown in forming the best plans And selecting the best methods. Wisdom means that as I approach any situation, I need wisdom. I need clarity from God as to how I should handle it, how I should approach it, and what I should do in those specific situations. Two times here in Colossians, Paul talks about this reality of wisdom. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, I'm praying for you that you would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding And then here he tells them to conduct themselves with wisdom. In chapter 1, he says, I'm praying for you, that you would have wisdom. In chapter 4, he's instructing them to live wisely. And the wisdom that Paul's referring to here is not natural. It's not something that you and I can produce on our own. It's wisdom that must come as we walk with God. John MacArthur said it this way. It refers to the ability... To collect and concisely organize principles from Scripture and the application of those principles to everyday life. We're to conduct ourselves with wisdom. But you ask the question, why is wisdom so significant? Why is that the thing that Paul chooses to reference here to tell us that's the way we should conduct ourselves? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I want to specifically highlight two that I think are very prevalent for us as we think about living on mission with God. First of all, wisdom reveals that I am to relate to others in Christ-like humility. You see, apart from wisdom, here's what happens. We begin to live arrogant and selfish. We begin to think that because I have a relationship with God or because of my biblical knowledge or because of other relationships that I have, that somehow I'm superior to those who don't have those things. But wisdom puts us back in check. And wisdom reveals to us that regardless of the people we're interacting with, we are to approach them with Christ-like Humility. The defining characteristic when Jesus was on earth was humility. So if he is now living his life, pressing his life out through us, what do you think his life's going to look like now? The same as it did when he was on earth. We will be people who show humility to those we interact with. I love how Jesus was referred to in John chapter 1. The Bible says they looked at him as someone full of grace and truth. May that also be true of us as his body. That we are a people full of grace and full of truth. And when I embrace wisdom, it reveals to me that I'm to relate to others with a Christ-like humility. But something else that wisdom does is wisdom reveals that I am to live with integrity. Not only am I to relate to others in Christ-like humility, but I'm also to live with integrity. Apart from wisdom, we all have the tendency to wear a mask. And we come into a place like this where we're talking about God and spiritual things and we put on a certain persona to impress other people. But then we leave and we carry ourselves totally differently. Listen, as you think about living on mission with God, It is critical that we are men and women of integrity. That word simply means oneness or sameness. There's to be a oneness about the way that we live our lives that is honoring to God and authentic to other people. Because you see, when we live one way around a certain crowd and a different way around another crowd, we are actually distorting the gospel. People will gauge what Jesus is like by looking at his body, the church. So it's so critical that you and I embrace what wisdom says to us, that we're to live with a Christ-like humility as we relate to others, and we're to live with integrity. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. What does he mean when he says outsiders? Well, he's referring to people who are simply outside of, the Christian faith, people who are outside of the Christian community. We live in a city that is 95% without a relationship with God. 95% of our city professes no relationship with God, no hope in the gospel. So here's what that means. The majority of the time that you are living throughout our city, you are exposed to people who don't share the same belief that you do. 95% of the time. So here's what that means. That means every moment of my life, 95% of the time, every moment of my life is an opportunity for God to share his story through my life. The first key word that I want us to really understand this morning as it relates to living on mission is the word live. The way I live my life every day is a big deal. Here's a Here's a question for you to really see where you are. Is my life a living demonstration of the difference Jesus makes? As you think about the way you're living, is your life a testimony? Is it a demonstration to the difference that Jesus can make? It's the first word this morning. It's the word live. Here's the second key word out of this text. It's the word look. Look, what we're saying with look is this. What's happening around me is a big deal. With live, we are primarily thinking about lifestyle, how you live your life. With look, we're talking about an intentionality to be aware of the things that are happening around us that we may engage in those things and serve other people. That's this principle of looking. Paul goes on in verse 5 to say, making the most of every opportunity. That phrase, making the most, is a really interesting phrase. It's a term that refers to purchasing. It means to buy something at the market. It means to buy up all that is anywhere to be bought. So why is Paul using that phrase in the context of this scripture? Well, here's what he's communicating. He's saying all around you are opportunities to live on mission with God, to serve people, to engage with people, to be a light to other people. And he's challenging us to leverage all of those opportunities to buy them up for the sake of the gospel. So for us, The conversations we have every day, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the environments that we function in on a regular basis, we are to be looking at what is happening around us that we may leverage all of those opportunities for the sake of the gospel. In another book that Paul wrote, the book of Philippians, here, listen to how he speaks about the children of God. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. We are to live our lives as lights for the gospel. Constantly aware that there are opportunities all around us that we can leverage for the sake of Jesus. William Barclay said this, The Christian must of necessity be a missionary. It is not by his words, but by his life, that he will attract people to or repel them from Christianity. On the Christian, there is laid the great responsibility not of simply talking about Christ, but of showing men Christ, not just in words, but in life. You've probably heard the old cliche, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is still true in 2013. As we look around us at the opportunities, the activity of God, may we live with an intentionality to engage in those opportunities and leverage them for the sake of the kingdom of God. So here's a question to really kind of gauge how you're doing. Am I looking for opportunities every day to serve others and share the gospel with them? Are you looking Because what's happening around you, what's happening around me, it's a big deal. First word is live. The way I live my life every day is a big deal. Second word, look. What's happening around me is a big deal. Third word, speak. The third key word here in this text is speak. What I say to others is a big deal. What I say to other people is a big deal. He goes on in verse six. He says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Rick Warren made this statement. Many parts of your life mission are unique, but there is one part of your life mission that we all have in common. It's this. God wants you to tell other people about what's happened to you. That's the real essence here of verse six. There is a time where we live out before people the fact that we've been changed by Jesus, that we look for opportunities, but there are also times when we are to verbally communicate the gospel with other people. And Paul says, as you do this, let it always be with grace. And then he uses the phrase, as though seasoned with salt salt can really do three things it can preserve it can sterilize or it can season and the way he describes salt in this passage is that salt is something that's seasoned here's what that means it means it's acceptable and inoffensive that the way we're to communicate what we say is to be acceptable and inoffensive to other people You could literally translate the first part of the verse this way Let your speech be always with graciousness appropriate to Christians. We're to be sensitive not only about what we say, but about how we say it. Then he goes on to say that you should respond, that you should know how to respond to each person. We're to speak in every situation with a sensitivity to what's going on around us and to the person that we're speaking to. Not every situation is the same. There is not a textbook answer for every situation you're gonna find yourself in as you live on mission with God. But there should always be a sensitivity and a humility in the midst of those conversations that is attractive to others and demonstrates to them who Jesus really is. I want to show you an example through video of this principle, I believe, being fleshed out. Now, one of the famous shows in our city is called Penn and Teller. And a star in that show, his name is Penn Gillette. And he is a professing atheist. He's written about it. He's done interviews about it. But what you're about to see is a video by Penn Gillette, and it's pretty raw. He's just kind of in front of his laptop recording this video. But he's talking about an interaction he had with a follower of Jesus and he's pretty rocked by it so I want us to watch this video as an example of someone I believe who approached sharing the message in the right way so watch this video
1: I want to talk to you about this uh I get home from the show and at the end of the show as I've mentioned before we go out and we uh we talk to folks and you know sign an occasional autograph and- Shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position. After I was all done, big guy, probably about my age, big guy. And um, he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand, because we'd give those away. He had the, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and... Uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. But he said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um... I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself, Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt, That a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man, and... Uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say.
0: You know, I don't know if there'll ever be a day when Penn Jillette becomes a follower of Jesus. I pray that one day he would. But here's what I kind of take away from just that short video. The person who was interacting with him, who was serving him, who was speaking to him, communicated a clear picture of Jesus. You know, I often wonder what it was like when Jesus was on earth that so many lost people were attracted to Jesus. Jesus. And they didn't leave feeling judged or condemned. They may not have agreed with his teaching, but they knew that he cared about them. What would happen if we began to live on mission with that type of mindset? That as we shared with people, we did so with much grace, and our speech was seasoned with salt in such a way that when they thought about us, maybe they didn't agree with everything, but they knew we loved them and in humility that we cared about them. The lifestyle we live, the way that we portray ourselves before people creates the platform for us to verbally share the gospel with others. I believe there were some things about that man's life that his pen watched him and saw him, created a platform So that when he spoke, he listened to him. It's a very challenging, that's real life. As we watch that video and as we think about how significant it is that we're speaking the words that God desires for us to speak. I wanted you to see that just to challenge you. We are stewards of the gospel every moment of every day. And I pray that as we do that, we are stewarding the truth in a way that is honoring to our Father. Let me ask you a question to kind of gauge where you are. Am I speaking the gospel to others in the opportunities God brings into my life? As you navigate through life and God puts something on your heart, are you using the platform you have to speak the gospel to other people? As we try to apply what it looks like to live on mission, three words, live, look, and speak. And as I thought about kind of those words this week, I want to close by giving you a couple other principles and then giving you a challenge and then we're going to have some time to respond. At least for me, when it comes to living on mission, there are a couple of obstacles that I have to try to overcome, usually on a daily or on a weekly basis. That it's great to stand up here and talk about living on mission, but as honest as I can be today, there are some real obstacles in my life that hinder me from living on mission the way that really in my heart I desire to. Here's one of those obstacles. The obstacle of busyness. We all know what it's like to have a schedule that is so crammed that we can jump out of bed and hit the ground running, spend all day engaged in some form of activity, come home at night and fall asleep and wake up and do it again. We all have to learn how to battle this obstacle of busyness and honestly, us just not thinking about the activity of God that's happening all around us. There are some very embarrassing stories from my life That looking back, I realized God had put opportunity after opportunity around me. But because of my schedule, I was so focused on my to-do list that I walked right past the activity of God. Maybe you can relate with that, but one of the obstacles that we just need to be aware of is the obstacle of busyness. And I believe to overcome that obstacle, what must happen is there must be moments as you begin your day every day where you are setting your heart on Jesus and his mission, that you're anchoring yourself there first before you get to the list, before you get to the phone calls or the emails or the meetings, that you are carving out moments in your day and saying, Lord, today I want to be aware of your activity. So I want to set my heart on you and your mission. And you start there. Otherwise, you move right into the day And you fall to the obstacle of busyness. Here's one other obstacle that I thought about. Not only the obstacle of busyness, but the obstacle of apathy. The obstacle of just indifference. You see, there are some moments when we're just not thinking about the activity of God. But there are other moments, and if we're honest, we just don't care about the activity of God that we're emotionally and physically and intellectually drained and there's not a whole lot in us that's really caring about what's happening around us, the obstacle of apathy. Well, how do you, how do you overcome that obstacle? I believe one of the ways you overcome that obstacle is by moving off of the sidelines, so to speak, as it relates to walking with people and get in the game. There are never moments for me when I'm living life with someone, when I'm discipling or pouring into others, whether it's good or it's bad, that my heart doesn't break for that person. There's something about interacting with people, walking with people, shepherding and caring for people that breaks your heart as it relates to the mission. And the further you get away from people, the more your heart is indifferent to the mission. So I believe for all of us, there must be an intentionality to say, you know what, God, I want to engage in the mission. And one big part of engaging in the mission is me walking and interacting with other people. And here's why. Because when something you hear about becomes someone you care about, it changes the way you live. I can stand here before you today and talk about people around the world. I can talk about hurting people in our city. I can talk about hurting people in our church and it's just an idea to you. But when you attach an idea to a name and I think about the people that I know around the world, the people in my city who are hurting, the people in this church who are hurting, it changes the way I live. When something you hear about becomes someone you care about, It changes the way that you live. And I believe that is the greatest way to get away from indifference. The Bible says Jesus looked on the multitudes and felt compassion. When you think about the multitudes, what do you feel? Here's what I want to challenge you to do this week. When you, wake up in the, when you wake up, whatever time of the day that might be, I want you to pray this simple statement to God. God, show me an opportunity today to join in your activity. Maybe you need to put that in your Bible or on a cue card on your nightstand or in your car or on your table, but I'm challenging you this week when you wake up every day to simply pray, God, show me an opportunity today to join in your activity. And with your lifestyle, create a platform that people look to. Be on the lookout for ways you can be intentional to serve others. And when God presents you with an opportunity to verbally communicate the gospel, do so in a way that is seasoned with salt and in a way that is wise, depending on the circumstances and the situation. The second mark of maturity is a passion to live on mission with God daily.